0: fellow travellers, and welcome to podcast 104 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Simon Calder.
1: And me, Mick Webb. Now, today has something of a Cold War feeling about it, I'm sorry to say. We're going to be talking about the possible consequences of Putin's appalling, brutal expansionism for travel and tourism in that part of the world. And uh, Simon, I gather you found somewhere appropriate to talk about it.
0: Well I am in a particularly glorious setting, Prestwick International Airport in South West Scotland. And if there were a contest for the most beautifully located airports, I think this would be in with a very strong chance. It's just on the same bay that Ayr is on, just south of Troon, on a lovely stretch of the Ayrshire coast. You've got uh, the islands off in the distance. You've got um, the the hills of of southwest Scotland rising behind you. And in the middle of all this, apparently plonked here because the weather was thought to be more favourable, is Prestwick International Airport. And I'm here. I'm speaking to you middle of the morning on a Sunday. And I'm the only person here, apart from the very nice lady on the information counter, who's made me a cup of tea because the only other catering outlet, the uh, tea machine, isn't working. And, and it's a rather ignominious uh, situation for Mick. What is a Lovely airport, very much rooted in the nineteen sixties, in the in the time of the Cold War. Um, lovely big windows, looking really quite sort of Soviet in its own way. And it was once the gateway to the United States. Today, it's the gateway to, uh, well, Spain, and you can fly there on any airline you like as long as it's Ryanair. It does have one uh, claim to fame, though, Mick, and that is it is the only place in. Britain where Elvis Presley ever set foot. He was on a a troop flight going to serve in Germany and he spent about an hour wandering around here. Well
1: let's come back to that Um, after we've looked at some of the responses to last week's uh, podcast. uh, Now you tweeted about it with the words Qatar hosts the 2022 World Cup. No I don't know why either. Now this brought quite a response. Stuart Berry said, "I think we do know why." Mark Wilson ventured, "FIFA corruption at its finest," and in his free 1962 said, "Nobody should be travelling to Qatar. Terrible regime. We should not be giving them our custom."
0: Meanwhile, Heather DeLoe said, "Why shouldn't they?
1: I.e., why shouldn't
0: Qatar be hosting the World Cup if it's to be a truly..." World Cup. And we've let Russia hold it after the annexation of Crimea, she points out. Absolutely right. 2014, uh, Russia annexes uh, Crimea. 2018, it stages the World Cup. And I was there.
1: Ah, Well, I wonder if the current grim Ukrainian episode will bring about a reappraisal of that disingenuous idea that sport and politics can be kept apart. Mm. I heard today, for example, um, the uh, football match in the Premier League between Chelsea and Newcastle being described as uh, the moral match of the day. Yeah, well, <laughs> pause for grim laughter. Uh,
0: yes, of course, um, uh, and owned until this week by the uh, Russian oligarch uh, Roman Abramovich and um, Newcastle United sponsored by Saudi Arabia.
1: Yes. Also, I'd like to mention um, a tweet from Jeff Mirko, who said that he was really looking forward to um, uh, our next podcasts. So thank you very much for that, Jeff, because we always provide an uplifting perspective on the world, much needed these days. Well, no, thank you again, Jeff, for that uh, vote of confidence. But I think uh, I think we're going to be severely tested by today's subject, don't you? Uh,
0: I, th- I fear we might, but there is, I think... A little bit of hope that we can
1: we can cling to. Well, anyway, tell me more about Prestwick. Well,
0: actually, it's Prestwick. Uh, Prestwick being a well-known suburb of Manchester, but Prestwick um, is yes, it's got a, a, a fantastic, very long runway, almost a couple of miles, better than Glasgow, better than Edinburgh. Ideal for military use, um, and it was used controversially by the CIA for their extraordinary rendition flights. If you remember those um uh oh, yeah, the u.s yeah. military still use it as a refueling point and um ryanair which is the only uh airline in town um it, it has a minor presence here um but the scottish government really doesn't know what to do with it they bought it for a pound um <laughs> when it was the alternative was closing it down and it's, it's really quite a drain on resources i mean it is i'm just looking across this hallowed terminal which is and i was at uh, glasgow airport it's much more impressive um a lovely high atrium there's a prayer room over there uh there's space for everybody and yet nobody is here and i urge you mick if you are in the area just to come and enjoy the uh, uh the, the location not least of course because it is a, a hop and a skip from a, a pretty decent beach I suppose the, the reason I'm here isn't because it is a, a beautiful building in a lovely part of Scotland, it's just because it felt like we are returning to some sort of Cold War and this is exactly the uh, uh, the, the, the frisson um, that you might get from being here at Prestwick, uh, at, at, Press Week, at, at it transports you straight back to the um the
1: 1960s well i can feel the shiver as as you speak uh i wonder if it would be fair to say that uh, as far as travel and tourism is concerned another iron curtain has descended it certainly
0: has i guess we call it mick um the uh, the uh, putin's curtain or the plutonium curtain i guess um uh, uh, not just russia of course but um uh, belarus which is effectively owned and operated by the Kremlin. Um, Ukraine, of course, which is off limits because of Putin's war. And I'll even bring in um, Moldova, of which we've spoken before, this uh, funny little tiny republic of the Soviet Union, now an independent state, but with a a, a Russian state within a state within it. So, uh, yes, all of which is... is um, Uh, certainly off our, well, it's not off the world's radar, but it's certainly um, out of bounds to us.
1: Yes, of course. And although this might sound ridiculously naive, um, I presume that the travel industry, which is always extremely optimistic, is already trying to guess at how long this ghastly state of affairs might last. Yes. And I've been asking
0: for some expert opinion, not on when or how exactly it finishes, but I'm wondering what the prospects are for Ukraine after uh, this appalling conflict is over. Is it going to be a good destination to visit once the guns stop or should we actually stay away for a few years while they rebuild? I've been talking to Neil Taylor, who's been running trips behind what we used to call the Iron Curtain for almost 50 years
2: depends how much damage there has been. I mean, very crudely from the tourism point of view, the fact that a maternity hospital was bombed doesn't affect what people will want to see. So if the sites are still there, the hotels are still there, the best way to support Ukraine would be to return there immediately and travel around the country as much as that is possible. But of course, there would be difficulties with the trains and with the roads. Um, But I would have thought with Determination, they could rebuild the railway system quickly, they could rebuild the roads very quickly. There would be support from the outside, hopefully. And so the country is then presentable, shall we say, within a few months. Some people would want to show their support by going absolutely immediately and saying, Well, I'm not expecting anything, I just want my money to go to the country at once. Rather like people now, of course, booking Airbnbs and paying the
1: owners uh, and not going to get money and to support their ventures. Well, that's a very good idea, which actually hadn't um, hadn't occurred to me before. Um But you've travelled extensively in Ukraine, Simon. I mean, what uh, are you um, hoping to um, be able to see um, if and when you can return? Well, I first went there Mick, in 1991, just as. Ukraine was breaking free
0: from the Soviet Union, and it was a very exciting time. Um, and you even had Russian rubles overstamped with Ukraine as the uh, national currency. And I've been back uh, several times since then. Um, Kiev, as we've all been hearing, is a spectacular city of all the great uh, former Soviet cities. I would put it pretty much at the top. And well, the top tourist attraction. Um, as I've uh, reported on before, is Chernobyl, the um, uh, nuclear reactor, which, of course, uh, 35, 36 years ago now, um, exploded and caused such such dreadful, dreadful um, fallout. Um, And yet, up until the Russian invasion, up until COVID, I guess, it was a really popular day trip. And I went on one and met some very happy fellow tourists. Kat, we've now been on the road for 11 hours. Tell me what you thought of the tour.
3: I thought it was a fascinating tour. It was so interesting to hear the stories of the people that lived there and had to leave and the workers. And it's so interesting to see how nature has retaken the land and just grown over all the buildings wherever possible. And to compare it to the pictures of how it looked before, you'd never recognize it. It was remarkable. I'd really recommend it. And you don't think it's
0: just a bit voyeuristic looking at this very macabre scene? <laughs> it is a
3: bit. You can forget that so many people died because of this while you're looking around and taking your photos. I think it's interesting and important to look at these uh, historical events and learn about what actually happened at them to remember them. Uh,
0: tell me, you're a long way from home aren't you?
3: We
4: are. <laughs> um,
0: and what brought you here to Chernobyl?
4: we always wanted to visit Kiev. So, as we recently retired, we decided to try and see as much view as we can, and this was on our list. So, we've, it's been a really good time. Oh, it's been interesting. It's certainly been interesting.
2: Kiev's yeah. a great city, but this is an added bonus to it.
0: Do you think there's something slightly sinister, maybe morally wrong... Macabre. Uh, macabre, about coming to see a place
2: like this? Uh, not if it's cleaned up. <laughs>
4: no, we watched a documentary um, on them covering the...
2: With the sarcophagus? With the
4: sarcophagus and building it, building it and putting it on and how they did it, which was absolutely fascinating. So it's nice to see that in the flesh, so to speak, um, having having watched a documentary. Mm.
0: And do you think that everyone should come to see this place just to understand what happened and the tragic stories behind it?
4: I think it's like any part of history, isn't it? As long as it's retold and lessons are learnt, then I think people should come. But I don't think it should be obligatory, obviously. It's got no. to be a choice.
2: Yeah, it certainly has to be a choice for them, like, no, 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 no doubt. Honestly, I, I've been inside doubt.
0: The... Charlie Smith, tell me what you make of the Chernobyl experience.
1: Uh, the Chernobyl experience is breathtaking. Uh, it's surreal. Um, it's Dark and creepy at times. Uh, it's got a lot of um, eerie feelings and it's quite paranormal. And
0: later in that podcast, I asked the nuclear scientist, Professor Claire Corkhill, what she thought about a place that was once full of terror becoming a visitor attraction.
3: Well, I I think the first thing to say is that until the nuclear reactor is actually cleaned up um, and it's still there, it's still full of radioactive materials, the exclusion zone that exists around Chernobyl, it's 30-kilometre zone. It can't really be used for very much at all. There are some solar farms that have been established, but, but people can't live there because the levels of radioactivity are too high for you to be there for long periods of time. So I think over... Shorter periods of time, if you're a tourist, a visitor, um, you you don't have the same level of hazard. And I think it's a really fascinating place to visit. Um, There's loads to learn about nuclear engineering, about the the history of nuclear, thinking forward to the future of nuclear power as well, um, and also Soviet history. And I I know I was really excited to see this when I visited Chernobyl. Uh, It's one of the last towns in the former USSR to actually have a statue of Lenin. So from a historical perspective, it's a really interesting place. And the important thing is that your visit is helping the local economy to pay for the ongoing cleanup, which costs Ukraine something like um, 11% of its GDP. So anything that you can do to visit that area is, is going to help the economy.
1: Okay. well, picking up that point and one that was made by Neil Taylor as well, do you think it's likely that a lot of uh, tourists, travelers who are currently supporting Ukraine in its unequal struggle will want to go there when it becomes possible to um, support the rebuilding of the economy?
0: We've been hearing um, during the terrible stories of the uh, Russian bombardment of uh, cities in Ukraine just how beautiful they are are or perhaps were. So Kharkiv in the uh, in the east of the country, former capital of Ukraine, full apparently of um, beautiful Art Nouveau buildings as well as um, some uh, classical 19th century architecture. But according to Neil Taylor, um, Ukraine isn't a place that you should stay away from. Indeed, we should be going there as soon as possible.
1: But by the same token, won't it be a very long time indeed before any travellers will want to have anything to do with Russia?
0: I think it all depends on what happens to Vladimir Putin if he stays on or if he is replaced by another strongman who continues the same uh, belligerence, then I I think Russia is very simply off the map. Um, But regime change is one of the possibilities if the Kremlin has got this hopelessly wrong. And according to Neil Taylor, um, if the invasion is defeated and Russia sees a change of leadership, People may return
2: really quite quickly. If there's a coup against Putin, there would be no problem because his successors would just blame the past on him and say, Come and see us, that is the past. We are very different. We want to prove the point to you.
0: I'm sort of reminded of South Africa, which until the early 1990s was very much regarded as being beyond the pale for an awful lot of travellers, but then now, of course, it's, it's um, top of many people's lists.
2: Yes, I think there is a parallel there, a complete switch between governments. I mean, easier to define there, of course, with apartheid, a totally white government replaced by a largely black one, of course, understandable, well, and the, those circumstances. And I'm just if other countries, well, Franco, of course, he died... There were fewer protests abroad about travel there. Uh, Left-wing people in Britain, some of them didn't travel there, didn't want to. They had friends who'd fought in the Civil War and so on. But there wasn't an immediate change or people weren't that concerned. The mass market went to Spain, the product suited them, and Franco dying didn't concern them that much. Like Salazar uh, a year or two earlier in Portugal. So similarly, left-wing people wouldn't have gone and then were very pleased to go and see a new Portugal. Um, But of course, Russia would be different in a sense. One's going from a time when there's no contact at all. To one hopes
1: it suddenly opens under a very different regime. But there is a difference here, isn't there, between um, Spain and Russia, and indeed uh, between Franco and uh, and Putin. I mean, Spain is uh, very close to uh, the UK and indeed the uh, potential tourist hordes of, of Western uh, Europe. It's a it's a warm country. It has a great ease of access. Uh, The beaches are lovely and Franco went to great lengths to um, build up its tourist infrastructure. I mean, I think it's a very different kettle of fish with Russia. I mean, would it actually even be missed as a tourist destination, quite frankly, except for a few um, dedicated um, uh, aficionados?
0: So back in 1991, when I was traveling around the disintegrating Soviet Union, I remember writing and predicting confidently that very many more people would be going to uh, Russia. And indeed, pretty much the opposite has happened. And the Russians have been putting up barrier after barrier and and now have by far uh, the toughest visa rules involving fingerprinting, involving paying um, £100 or more, um, and <laughs> having to list every country you've been to in the past 10 years. So they certainly um, haven't welcomed us. Um, many people going on, on cruise lines um, to St. Petersburg because it's the only efficient and easy way of getting in to see a glimpse of Russia. Um, However, um, Neil Taylor believes that um, we could actually be at a turning point when suddenly the world's biggest country
2: opens up and welcomes us along with everyone else. I think they must to build up the economy. We don't know quite how far the economy is going to tank, but with each passing day of the war, the economic situation in Russia gets worse. Um, there doesn't seem to be a clear plan to deal with that situation i suppose they're hoping that ukraine will be defeated in a few days even if it wasn't defeated instantly and then they can restore the economic situation as it was on february the 23rd well that clearly isn't going to happen and opening up to tourists would be a way of quickly getting in foreign currency and of course their infrastructure remains it's fine the hotels are there the roads are there the airports are there Uh, And the staff are there, so it would be very easy to restart tourism, but there's no point in opening all these facilities and then having the visa hurdles, which would prevent most people from going.
1: Ah, well, that is the uplifting perspective on the uh, sad circumstances which Jeff Mirko was hoping for. And of course, I hope he's right. But um, in the meantime, surely all the other Russian uh, countries in the orbit uh, ambit of of, uh, Putin are also going to um, become pariahs.
0: Well, I I think Belarus already is. And it will be interesting to see what happens there, because they'd actually, unlike uh, Russia, been very, very keen on attracting tourists um with the famous slogan which i think we may have discussed which is belarus your new birthday is here <laughs> uh and and they made they, they got rid of really tricky visa rules um but uh clearly uh i i think um belarus is is off limits and maybe kazakhstan as well which has been supporting uh, uh russia in this but again that was a completely uh, minority sport so oh i think they're happening here Uh, what's going uh, on well simultaneously a passenger seems to have turned up (laughs) and in celebration an announcement has started up but um yeah and he's it must be a Ryanair passenger because he's clutching a tiny bag the same as mine (laughs) uh uh, slightly bigger in in, in volume and slightly heavier than a packet of crisps but not much
1: (laughs) is 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 the announcement welcoming the passenger (laughs) is that (laughs) (laughs) yes um um but back back to more serious matters um what what other countries actually could one um say are tarred with the russian brush because presumably this spreads quite widely in the world and one wouldn't for example be going to uh, montenegro maybe or oh
0: i i think montenegro although there's quite a lot of russian there russian money there um i guess serbia would be the obvious one i mean they have been really quite vocal in their support for um, yeah. for Russia. And intriguingly, Belgrade has become the new conduit between Western Europe and Moscow. Air Serbia has actually increased the number of flights to Moscow because so many people want to get in and out and I was slightly appalled to discover that actually pretty much any day you want about 300 pounds you can fly from Heathrow to Belgrade and transfer to uh, Moscow not of course that anybody should be going there and you're not going to get a visa anyway. Um, And uh, interesting to see the other countries that uh, voted against the um, uh, UN resolution condemning the invasion, and they included Syria, client state obviously, and Eritrea, uh, which I can only imagine is the um, recipient of quite a large number of funds um, from from, uh, Moscow.
1: Oh, well, I'll put them on the list as well, and I suppose uh, the uh, every cloud has a silver lining um, does apply here to Air Serbia. Uh, yeah, well, certainly, yes. I mean, another thing that that, that occurs to me is that uh, travel uh, tourism is not a a one way process; it's a two way process. So there are now going to be. Loads of Russians not going to where they were going to go or being um, denied access to where they wanted to go, which will be creating its own problems and uh, opportunities.
0: It, it will certainly places like Cyprus um, Dominican Republic, the Maldives, would you believe uh, Sri Lanka, Thailand um, will have some. In-
1: Montenegro. Uh,
0: yes, certainly. Uh, and uh, the south of France are uh, very popular as well particularly with oligarchs and their yachts. So, yes, there will be... (laughs) And their uh,
1: (laughs) ex-yachts.
0: There there will be a kind of vacuum effect, and and I think this is going to affect uh, Turkey as well. Um, And so, therefore, I can imagine there will be bargains. And if we know one thing from international conflict and tragedy, it is Brits love a bargain, and they will uh, probably be piling in. We shall see.
1: And the Red Sea results in Egypt, of course. Uh,
0: certainly, yes. Sharm el Sheikh is uh, uh, and her um full of uh, Cyrillic script welcoming the Russians. And look, we've um, touched on some controversial subjects uh, this week. We're very, very keen to hear from you. If you can tweet us at you should have been there, and you can leave a voice message for us at anchor.fm forward slash uh, you should have been there, and just follow the instructions to find out. Um, how to do that you can tweet us at you should have bt or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there and leave us a voice message to tell us what you think about this
1: well next week we will be um lightening up our uh, uh subject matter uh, that is a terrible pun because we're going to revisit the topic of traveling light so if anybody wants to um send us their own um uh, prescription for how best to travel on the sorts of flights that uh, Simon has seen uh, uh, arriving at Prestwick, um, then please do let us know. And Simon, where are you actually going to uh, now? Well, I'm not actually flying anywhere from Prestwick. I'm going to the try to climb
0: the Merrick, the highest mountain in southwest
1: Scotland. We shall see. Presumably you won't be too heavily encumbered for that.
0: I, I hope not. Um, I may even leave my belongings at the foot of the mountain and uh, and stride up um, unencumbered. Anyway, uh, that's quite enough from now. I've got to go and get my train, Mick. Um, but for now, from me, Simon Calder. Uh...
1: And from me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>